Thank you very much, Mandy, for reading to us. Let's pray with those words uh, in front of us. Lord Jesus, you say, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. Um, we pray that we would hear your voice tonight and we would know you are uh, a gracious and a wonderful shepherd for us and happily entrust our lives to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Edward mentioned, we're in a series this term on Sunday evenings where we are focusing on seven amazing claims made by Jesus Christ about himself. Uh, we've thought already about Jesus Christ saying, I'm the bread of life. In other words, without me you starve, with me you're guaranteed satisfaction. Or last week, I'm the light of the world. In other words, without me, says Jesus, you are groping in the darkness. You're surrounded by the blackness of evil, your sin and everybody else's. But with me, you can walk in the light of knowing God and his truth. Claims like that, they're amazing claims. Jesus' disciple John has given us seven of them in his gospel. And they're the sort of things nobody could say about themselves today and expect to be taken seriously. Imagine how you would react if somebody took the microphone at a funeral and announced, I am the resurrection and the life. They'd either be asked to sit down or they'd be ushered out of the door quietly. But words like that are exactly what Jesus said. And in fact, they would have sounded even more startling to the people who first heard them than they do to us 2,000 years on. The words, I am, in each of those claims, the seven ones we're looking at this term, they're an echo of the moment when God met with Moses in the flames of the burning bush. In fact, it was more accurately a non-burning bush because... There were flames, but the bush didn't burn up. And God revealed his name to Moses at that time, I am who I am, which is a way of saying, amongst other things, that he's the eternal God. He doesn't have a past tense, and he fills the future and everything in between those two non-ends, as it were. He is the eternal present tense. I am. He's glorious, white-hot, incandescently holy. He's awesome. He's inexhaustible, like the bush which didn't burn. So no wonder God's people treated that name, I am who I am, with very special reverence. A preacher recently reminded us they wouldn't even write the name let alone drop it casually into conversation. They never use God's name like people might say, OMG, in a text message today. And then from the lips of Jesus, that name, I am, is heard again. The God who spoke to Moses is speaking once again. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. They are claims to be God himself in the flesh and blood human being, was born at Christmas and who would go on to die on the cross for our sins. Huge, awesome claims. It's either arrogance or delusional or it is breathtaking and amazing and true. When people encounter Jesus Christ, they encounter the God of heaven and earth. 
And that encounter makes all the difference. So I wonder if you're expecting a supernatural encounter as you came to church today. Because we should be. Because Jesus is absolutely supernatural. Now, I want to confine myself to just one verse today. I don't promise that it'll make things happen any quicker, but it'll be easier to follow where we are. John chapter 10, verse 9. Here's the claim for today. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me, says Jesus, will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Let me show you first in Jesus' words there what he claims. I am the gate, he says. And in the verses we had as our reading, which Mandy read to us, Jesus has painted that scene with a sheepfold, which was pretty much the equivalent of a bank security vault in those days. Imagine Gringotts, if you're a Harry Potter fan. The sheepfold was where you kept your valuables in Jesus' day. And not unnaturally with valuables being around, there are robbers around too, robbers out to get unauthorized access and a watchman to stop them and one or more shepherds. Now, with that sort of verbal picture, that scene that Jesus painted, at that stage he doesn't particularly identify who the various characters are. He just paints a scene that would have been thoroughly familiar to his hearers, which makes sense to anyone that is familiar with Middle Eastern shepherding practices. We could be listening to Israel's equivalent of farming today on Radio 4. Nearly every village had a communal sheepfold into which all the different shepherds would bring their flocks at the end of the day for safekeeping overnight. There's only one way in and out, and that's guarded by a watchman, so clearly, anyone who climbs over the wall is up to no good. They're obviously thieves. At dawn each day, familiar scene it would have been, as I say, one shepherd after another would come to take out their animals again for the day. So the watchman opens the gate for this or that recognized shepherd, and then he calls out for them, his sheep, each one by name, I guess. They hear his voice, they stop eating, they lift their heads to check, because only minutes earlier... There'd been another shepherd. They'd heard that one calling out his sheep. And uh, they asked themselves, well, is, is this my shepherd this time? Oh, they didn't recognize the voice before, but this time it's him all right. And one by one, out the gate they go. Now, John comments that people didn't really get what Jesus was saying as he drew that picture, that scene. And so Jesus explains his word picture. He'll have more to say about how he is the good shepherd in the section we look at next week. For the moment, it's a slightly different claim he's making. I am the gate. There are in his picture people who don't use the gate, and they are the bad guys. You see someone climbing over the wall, you know they're up to no good. They're thieves and robbers. If you're a sheep, and one of those people puts you under their arm, make a lot of noise and wriggle and kick. Because if they take you out of the sheepfold over the wall, you know that the next stop for you will probably be the butchers, lamb chops with mint sauce. The only legit way in and out of the sheepfold is the gate. Me, says Jesus. 
I'm the entry, I'm the exit. The thieves stand for human leaders who had no authorized access to the flock, and yet they wanted to take possession of the flock as if it belonged to them. And it's clear Jesus had in mind the Pharisees as he spoke. It's actually always a danger of, of all human leadership. You know the South American dictator who was talking to his son, and he adapted the well-known quotation, power corrupts my son, he said. And absolute power, I meant to say corrupts absolutely, isn't it? Absolute power, he said, is even nicer. Anyone in leadership knows how appealing it is to bend the wills of others to do what you want. Um, we'll all be aware of that sort of temptation in our families, it would be true, in our workplaces. And, of course, it's a huge temptation within God's people as well. For a home group leader whose small group belongs to them in their mind, for congregation leaders who love being in the limelight. I'm not immune from that, wanting to think of myself as in some unique category. When I'm not, I'm just a sheep in the flock like every other Christian. The only person in a unique category here is Jesus. I am the gate, he says. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They'll come in and go out and find pasture. He is the only authorized point of entry to God's flock. If anyone wants to belong to God's people, they come through him. Now, it makes sense, of course, in the light of what Jesus was going to do when he died on the cross. We can't have access to God in heaven through our own efforts doing good things. That can't pay for the bad things that we've done. We can't have access to God or to his people through what anyone else offers us. No religious leader, no political leader, no mystical writer. They've got their own sins to pay for. They can't pay for ours. But Jesus, who came from God, he had no sin of his own to pay for us, to pay, to pay for. But he loved us enough to die to make payment for our sin. So through him, we can gain access to God and his people. No other way works, but this one does. He doesn't just offer a gate, a way to God. I am the gate, says Jesus. We didn't read John chapter 9. The conversation we've had read follows hot on the heels of an episode where a man blind from birth has just been thrown out of the synagogue by the religious leaders of the day because he's associated with Jesus, who healed his blindness. Well, they can throw him out of the synagogue, but they're not the gatekeepers of God's kingdom. They are thieves. They really just want the sheep for themselves, like the blind man. They want him in their group, not in Jesus' group. But Jesus is the gate. So you know a thief today, by the way, he fails to give Jesus Christ that central, unique place. A thief like that will either replace Jesus with themselves, or they'll suggest there are lots of ways to enjoy a fulfilled existence, or God's blessing, if they're using religious categories. Lots of leaders to follow, and Jesus is just one religious leader amongst many. Well, he never talked that way 
himself. I, I alone am the gate, he says. It sounds very definite to us to say that Jesus is the only way like that. Most people, they want to say, well, we can't really be sure, can we? In fact, to be uncertain almost becomes a virtue. No, it's funny, though. You think about it. It's funny we don't adopt that kind of approach about it being good to be uncertain in other areas of life. We don't praise uncertainty in medical matters, for example. So when my body's on the table under the knife of the surgeon, I don't want the surgeon to be full of uncertainty then. I'm not going to say, go on, doctor, while you're in there, have a poke about and sort of find a few other things to do while you're around in there. Whatever you fancy, just slice away. We don't sort of praise uncertainty in other areas of life. So why are we so, unha so unhappy being certain in matters of belief? Where actually much more hangs on the matters concerned. These aren't just mind games we're talking about here. The thief, says Jesus, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It's destructive. To bypass Jesus leads, in his eyes, to disaster and destruction. So what Jesus claims is that he uniquely is the one authorized through whom we gain access to God and his people. Now let's move on from what he claims to what Jesus offers because the narrowness of the claim, only one way in, might at first sound like bad news to us today. People really don't like to limit their options like that. But Jesus is wanting to assure us that he's offering good news. I'm the gate, he says. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They'll come in and go out and find pasture. So what's he offering? Well, whoever enters through me will be saved to start with. In other words, that means there's a situation of danger from which Jesus provides salvation or rescue. We've thought about this a bit already. Left to ourselves, we're at the mercy of our own sin from which we cannot save ourselves, but which exposes us to a danger from which we definitely need to be rescued. If we live without God, as we all do by nature, we face God's just punishment for that rebellion. And Jesus, as we've seen, is the one way for anyone to be saved from that penalty because he died for us on the cross. Left to ourselves, the sheep are also at the mercy of the sheep stealers, robbers who want to, the sheep for themselves. And Jesus, as the gate, keeps his sheep safe from the thieves. Because every night, when the sheep have all come in from their grazing, bang, the gate shuts behind them and keeps them safe from harm. That's another aspect of the salvation which is ours if we belong to Jesus. He protects us from the devil and from anyone else who wants to harm us. And I wonder how much we're aware of that protection which Jesus provides, that kind of salvation. We might at times be tempted to think that Jesus has hemmed us in. If we only knew how often he's put a wall around us and closed the gate behind us so we're safe from false teachers, from lethal influences and influencers. He sort of does the job in computer parlance of the firewall 
or the parental controls, the security on the internet to keep the dark web away from computer users and to keep computer users away from the dark web. We understand the value of that kind of protection, don't we? Well, Jesus has done that for us. No, Jesus is that savior for us, not just in computer use, of course, but in life and in our eternal destinies. I shudder to think how many times I've been at risk in the 40 years I've been a Christian. But despite the stupid sheep that I am, and despite the evil robbers, the thieves that I've come across, he goes on saving me. And he does it for you as well. Of course, it's not just what he saves us from. It's what he saves us for as well, the positives. The gate which shuts out danger at night opens up each morning to let the sheep out to find pasture. If anyone enters through me, says Jesus, they will come in and go out and find pasture. There's probably no grass to eat in the sheep pen because it's just trampled ground that's left there. But every day the gate opens out onto rich pasture. The grass isn't greener if you're a Christian. You get the luscious grazing of anyone and everyone. Life to the full is Jesus' other description for it. I'm not just saved from the danger of judgment, great though that is, or the danger of harmful robbers. Positively, being a disciple of Jesus is life at its best. My sins are forgiven, so I can know God as my best friend and someone who'll never let me down. No human friend is like that, good though they are, wonderful though they are. They're not as good as that. I can pray anytime about anything and know that he hears me and answers in the best way possible every time, which may not be what I thought was best as I prayed, but it always is the best way. He doesn't just save me on my own. He brings me in to be part of his people as well. This is a good text for the week of prayer for Christian unity because Jesus makes me part of a flock. And how wonderful those human relationships are. Every friend of Jesus is a friend of mine. And that's rich pasture in a cold, lonely world. Even though we're moving out of social distancing and shielding a bit, it's slightly easier to gather than it was. But how wonderful to be gathered together. I was trying to think how to put this in, a, in another way that might freshen it up. All the other things we might enjoy in life are even sweeter when we enjoy them as from God, gifts from him, coming from his hand, or we enjoy them with God, as friends of God. I was trying to think of a couple of examples from my experience. Um, pre-Christian and post-Christian. I've always had an active mind. I've had a sense of intellectual curiosity. I think God made me that way. But let me say that being a follower of Jesus has given my mind wonderful fulfillment as a disciple of his. It's kept me humble because in knowing God there's enough to blow my mind. I'm never going to get him taped. But it's satisfied my appetite for wisdom in the most wonderful way. Jesus Christ, says Paul, is the one in whom 
all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. And I long to explore them all for all eternity. It's going to be great. Uh, another way, you'll think I'm crazy giving you these ways. I've always enjoyed travel and exploration. When I was six, I drove my parents crazy by memorizing as many of the world's capital cities and population figures as I could get my hands on. This was pre-Wikipedia, by the way. And I think that aspect of Heimwad has been maxed up by being a disciple of Jesus as well. I love the fact that he's savior for the whole world and that all nations, different as all these different cultures of the world are, are invited into the sheepfold. He's not a British savior. I love the fact that when I go overseas to places I love, there are brothers and sisters of mine there as well. I've got a friend in every port. That's just a couple of little examples. Actually, while we were singing, I was thinking music is another area. I've always loved music. Um, I grew up on Radio 2 in the back of the car, wherever my mother was driving, singing songs with her. But I have to say, the songs of Zion that we get to sing in church are better by far. There's music that unlocks the heart, as no other music does. And it's free of charge, and they rehearse. And we get to sing every week uh, with amazing music uh, that other people just don't know about. I wish they did. Sorry, those are very personal things, just little examples of how I was before I was a Christian, and yet I enjoy those things with God even more now because he spreads the dish and gives us a feast, rich pasture. It'll probably be different for you, won't it, those things? But I guarantee if Jesus Christ is the gate for you, life will never not be satisfying. Whatever good desires he's put in us, he satisfies. And we get to enjoy them with him and fellowship with him. So we looked a bit at what Jesus claimed. We thought about what he offers. One vital thing remains, what he requires. Let's listen to the verse again. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They'll come in and go out and find pasture. What's he require? Well, one word covers it in the verse. I must enter through him. Which is partly what it means to begin the Christian life. It's a matter of walking through the gate uh, for the first time. Entering through Jesus. In other words, admitting I'm lost, a lost sheep without him accepting his death for me, the open door into friendship with God. And you do that by praying, saying, thank you for inviting me in, into your sheepfold. I accept. There's some sort of prayer like that. That's the start, maybe the start for somebody here. You've never yet prayed that way. So entering at the start, it's the way in, but it's also the way on in the Christian life, if I can put it like that. To enter for the first time is only the start. Think of the sheepfold. Those sheep go through the gate in and out, in and out, in and out, every night, every evening. And Jesus is to be like that for all of us. I tried to get inside an animal's head by watching our dog, Smarty. When I get the lead ready for a walk, where does he head? He heads to the door. That's his gate, his gateway. He wants to get out into all that the outside world has for him. 
When he's outside and it's cold or wet or scary and that big mean rubbish lorry comes or something like that, where does he head to? He heads to the door and he wants to get through the door inside. So Smarty would get this text instinctively, if I could just explain it to him. I've been a Christian, as I said, for 40 years. And not a day passes when I don't need Jesus to keep me safe and to let me out into the world, both of those. Every bit as much as I need the front door of my house, if you think about it. I use the door every day. And I'm so grateful for people that stress daily disciplines in the Christian life, reading my Bible, praying to Jesus, thanking Jesus every day for his death for me on the cross. Because that's this, this discipline, isn't it? It's entering in and out through Jesus. And maybe a homely illustration like a gate was intended by Jesus to have us reminding ourselves of his importance every single time we open or shut a significant door, the car door. The car door's pretty important, isn't it? Well, Jesus is important like that. The front door of our house, the gate at the front of our house, whatever it might be. Go through Jesus every day for safety and for satisfaction. He says, I'm the gate. If anyone enters through me, they will come in and go out and find pasture. Let's pray. And we pray, Father, that we would be able to chew over these words and make sense of them for ourselves. Will you show us what it is to have Jesus as the key gateway for our lives? We thank you for him. We pray you'd help us to know him better and love him more. For Jesus' sake, amen.